Uh, but if you have your Bibles with you, um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are nearing the end of it. I want to thank uh, Kevin for filling in for me last week on such short notice. As he said, he got the call uh, Saturday morning uh, that I needed him to, to step in. Uh, but we're, I'm doing better. I'm feeling a lot better. So thank you for uh, your prayers for me and my family uh, as I was sick this past week with COVID. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 15, we are going to be looking at verses 35 through 58. Now, we all have this question. Every, every civilization has this question of what happens after we die. The Australian Aborigines have pictured heaven as this distant island beyond the western horizon. The Babylonian legend, the Epic of Gilgamesh, refers to this eternal resting place for heroes. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said that the day that thou fearest as the last is the birthday of eternity. Every civilization has had this idea of what happens to us after we die. My favorite might be from the modern philosopher, more of a comic, Gary Larson. I have an image up here. It says, I wish I'd brought a magazine. We have this idea that people will just float in eternity forever. So what, what happens? What is the question for us? What happens after we die? I believe that for us as Christians, it is important for us to understand the biblical view of life after death that not only gives us hope, but it engages, it will engage our imagination for the resurrection, for what is coming for us. You see, the truth is, many Christians aren't excited about heaven. It's because many pastors have come up and said, well, it's just gonna be this eternal worship service. You're gonna be worshiping 24-7. And some of us are like, well, I really don't like to sing, or what if I don't know the song? Like, that does not sound appealing to me. Like, we sing four or five songs on a Sunday morning, and some of us are like, man, it's time to get this over with. We think of it as an eternal church service where we'll sing and then maybe we'll talk about the Bible some. It seems like we're just actively disengaged or maybe it's floating around in this spiritual sense like Gary Larson said. But the image that the scriptures give us is much more intense and real than any of those images that are in our mind. The Roman catacombs where the bodies of many modern Christians were buried in the first century, contained tombs with inscriptions that read on their tombstone, in Christ, Alexander is not dead but lives. Can you imagine a friend who was martyred, killed for Christ, and all the fear and all the, the grief that accompanies that death, you write on his, his tombstone with confidence, Alexander is not dead but he's alive. On other tombstones, they've written, the one who lives with God. Or others, it says, he was taken up to his eternal home. One historian even writes on these catacombs that pictures of the catacomb walls portray heaven with beautiful landscapes, children playing, people feasting at banquets. And I have a couple of pictures here. You can just slide through them. You see, for the early Christians... This was a real life, it was reality for them, that life was beginning after their death, that the fullness of life was in the resurrection of Jesus. In AD 125, a Greek named Aristides wrote 
to a friend saying about Christianity, if any righteous man among the Christian passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God and they escort his body with songs and thanksgivings as if they were setting out from one place to another. Third century church father Spirian said, let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home, which snatches us from this place and sets us free to leave the snares of the world and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. Anyone who has been in a foreign land longs to return to his own native land. We regard paradise as our native land. Think about that. When you're on vacation, the vacation is nice or great, or you're on a trip, you're away from home, there comes a time where you long to be home. Maybe you've traveled overseas. You are ready to get back to your, your place. What this Christian says is we regard heaven, eternity, is our place, and where we are now is a foreign land. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Corinthians 15 together. I'm gonna start in verse 35, and we're gonna read down through 58. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly one is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of dust, and as is the man of heaven so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the question that we're working with this morning, what happens when we die? Paul uses an analogy, and which is hard to fathom in one instance. It can kind of maybe seem confusing to us, but my encouragement is not to press this analogy too hard. Paul is not necessarily talking from a scientific point of view. Paul is not saying that people must die. We know that in some of his writings, some will not die. Some will be here when Jesus physically returns in his second coming. What Paul is saying is making a point for those denying the resurrection of the dead. The first point that we see here about the resurrection is this. The first is resurrection is physical. Unlike Gary Larson's view of floating around on a cloud and wondering, is this all that there is? We are not disembodied spirits floating around in a spiritual world but we will have physical bodies in a physical world. We will have physical bodies in a physical world, in a new heaven and a new earth. Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. And he talks about a spiritual and a natural body, but Paul's not saying that we're, not, we're just going to be spirits floating around but that our natural body and our spiritual body will be made completely new. And while we don't have all the answers, we can look to scripture to know what it will be like in the resurrection. Jesus himself rose. Paul calls him the first fruits. And we see Jesus as a recognizable person. Jesus says this, I am not a ghost. Thomas touched him. Peter ate with him. Jesus walked and talked with the disciples on Emmaus Road. The physical resurrection is in line with the rest of the views of Scripture. Consider Job in chapter 19. He says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. And what a a lesson this morning we can take for Job, who is quite literally experiencing hell on earth. And what does he look forward to? The resurrection, seeing the Lord there present with him. What do we know about the earthly body and the heavenly body? What is it going to be like when we die? Well, when we die, we will sow imperishable body, but raised imperishable We're going to be sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. Sown in weakness, but raised in power. When Paul is talking about this, this is the hope of the gospel. It's not that Jesus just forgives you of sin and death and says, that's okay, we'll forget about it. The promise is that in the resurrection, he will physically remove us from the presence and power of sin in our lives. At the resurrection, we will be removed from the presence and power of sin of sin in our life. That's why we preach the gospel, to call people to this hope, 
that his sin has a way of distorting our views and our ideas and our speech and our actions. Even today, as Christians, the hope is that one day we will be completely removed and free from it forever. Second, we see that the, first we saw that the resurrection will be physical. Second, we see the resurrection body is permanent. Paul says, for the perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. We see the dead is raised imperishable and that is the hope of the resurrection that will no longer be under the curse of sin. We will be removed from its power and presence and in Christ there's no chance that this is reversed. We won't be in heaven wondering if we can mess this up again. Second, we see, or third, we see the resurrection body is immortal. Maybe you've heard people say, man, I'd rather have a good time in hell than a boring time in heaven. And it's this idea among people that think hell will be a good time. But you see, from Scripture, all goodness, beauty, truth, hope, and love is in him. There is nothing good apart from him. There is no good time outside of Christ Jesus. King David wrote in Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God is nothing but joy. In God, all love, beauty, and goodness flow. Life, fullness, and joy is in him, and to be in Christ Jesus is to be a part of this when all things are made new. Now there is some among us uh, as we look forward to this hope, we're still disappointed with our own lives. We still go through just the tough sin nature of everything that's around us. So for the weak and the weary and the disappointed, it's, it's hard to, to have this hope, to focus your mind on this eternal joy in Christ. Take the words of Jesus. Don't just take my word for it. Jesus says this, to you who are poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. For you who mourn, mourn over your sin, you mourn in your loss, you mourn over the weakness of your flesh, Jesus says, in him you will be comforted. Jesus says, for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you will be filled. And for you who are merciful, you will be shown Mercy. Dallas Willard uh, says this, uh, I meet many faithful Christians who in spite of their faith are deeply disappointed in how their lives have turned out. Sometimes it is simply a matter of how they experience aging, which they take to mean they no longer have a future, but often due to circumstances or wrongful decisions and actions by others, what they have hoped to accomplish in life they did not. They painfully puzzle over what they may have done wrong or over whether God has really been with them. Much of this distress of people comes from a failure to realize that their life lies before them, that they are coming to the end of their present life, life in the flesh. Circumstances in other people are not in control of an individual's character or of a life that lies endlessly before us in the kingdom of God. You see, in heaven, we will be at last freed from our self-righteousness and our self-deceit. We will no longer question God's goodness. We will see it. 
We will no longer question God's goodness. We will savor it. We will no longer question it. We will enjoy it. We will no longer question God's goodness. We will forever declare it. And we will wonder, how could we have ever doubted his goodness to begin with? When we see him in fullness, when we see God. So what happens when we die? Well, Paul says to depart from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says things like, I'd rather leave this world behind for it is far better to be with Christ Jesus. Martin Luther, he says this, our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. You see, the, the physical resurrection, to, we are not just disembodied spirits floating in a disembodied world, but did you know that the whole earth longs for the resurrection? Consider what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it to it. I heard one pastor say it this way. Do you know why the lion and the tiger snarl at you? It's because they know you have a quarrel with their master. Creation longs eagerly for the resurrection of the children of God. Paul continues to say that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Russell has uh, started asking a ton of questions and questions that I really have no idea how to answer a six-year-old these questions. The other day he asked me, can trees talk to God? I was like, well, yes, they can. They, they hear and obey. The trees are subject to the word of the Lord. Jesus says that if they don't praise me, that the rocks will cry out. And he said, okay, so where's their mouth? It's like, well, buddy, I don't know. But I do know this, that creation hears the Lord and waits in eager expectation for the redemption of all things, the resurrection of all life. We will be in a resurrected heaven and earth with our creator. John Calvin says this about the resurrection of all things. I understand this passage to have this meaning, that there is no element and no part of the world which is being touched, as it were, with a sense of its present misery that does not intensely hope for the resurrection. Paul concludes this passage by saying, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So here's what this means for us. Because we have the hope of the resurrection, because we have the hope that life will actually really begin at the resurrection, that our labors here are not in vain, that our commitment to come to church and to study and to learn and to grow in wisdom and knowledge and holiness and righteousness is not in vain. 
we know that it is not in vain for us to put off sin that slows us down. You will never regret the sin that you forsake. We know that it's not in vain to fight for our marriages, to love our spouse deeply and fully, to lay down our lives for others, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We know that it is not in vain in the hope of the resurrection. Our scripture reading this morning came out of Colossians. And Paul is really saying here in Colossians, putting everything in light of the hope of the resurrection. He says this, we continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every good way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Why endurance and patience? Because we are racing towards the end to when we see our Savior. How is this for us? He says in verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. If you want Friend, if you want to experience the resurrection, if you want to have hope that this life is not all that there is, trust in Jesus. Come to him. Scripture says that as you believe in Jesus, as you come to Christ Jesus, that all the love and joy and righteousness that is put on Christ Jesus is now yours. You share in this. And Peter says that this is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, meaning it will never go away. Husbands and wives, if you have children, you know that even with your own family, sometimes you can get a little tired of them. Like maybe you just need to turn the volume down or just get a moment to like just take a breath for yourself. But in Christ Jesus, he will never grow weary of you. You will always be welcome in his kingdom. He will never think, I just got to go to the other room and just like chill out for a second. No, his joy is in you. In the resurrection, we will experience this for eternity. And we will never, we will never have run out of things to do with Christ Jesus. If you've been following along from our view in 1 Corinthians 15, you may have noticed that there is a verse that we skipped from Kevin's sermon to this sermon and so I want you to go back up to verse 33. This is what Paul says. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts, corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. Paul is making, within this view of the resurrection, a case for righteous living. And I believe that this case for righteous living, we need each other. We must have each other that, that pushes us forward along the race as we run the race together. You see, if you, you go out, if you drift out on an island on your own, you may start to doubt and wonder if God's goodness. Well, you might wonder if you really truly believe you may wonder if you've ever believed in the first place. But if you hold fast to the truth and you, you come to his, the body, the church, it's here where we encourage one another, we pray for one another, 
what Paul says. We have not stopped praying for you and ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The church is needed to hold on to the hope of the resurrection together in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, Moses stayed faithful to God because he was looking ahead to his reward. You ought to live a holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So as we press forward as with, with this goal and this reward in mind of Christ Jesus, let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you wrestled with your own mortality? Have you wrestled with, with your coming death? Today, in this room, you are one step closer. You are closer now to seeing Jesus face to face than you've ever been in your life. Today, right in this moment, you are closer to seeing him face to face than you've ever been. Have you wrestled with the fact of your own death? Do you consider that in, at the moment of your death, you are either with God or away from him? That you are either with him in the fullness of his joy and his goodness and his delight in you, or you are away from him forever? Have you considered that? Do you live in the reality that this world is not my home? That these things that we accumulate here on earth, they will all burn away? We're not taking any of it with us. Do you consider that your life is going to be examined by God? What you did with your time here on earth, that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. When I consider that for my own life, and it can cause a deep fear for me. But then I have to remind myself of the righteousness that is freely mine in Christ Jesus. And I hold fast to that truth. And so as we walk in our lives, we do our best to forsake sin and look forward to Jesus. How do we do this? How do we continually walk with him? I believe we see it in Jesus' life. Were people uh, in his Sermon on the Mount that were people of mercy, forgiveness, justice, and confession. Friend, this world is not your home. When I was a kid, this is the last story I'll share. I've shared it before. When I was a kid, uh, my favorite thing to do uh, would be to watch LSU football games with my dad. And a lot of times the games were on at night, and I would try to stay up as late as I could, but inevitably I would fall asleep. And then somehow the next morning, I, w I didn't wake up on the couch, but I woke up safely in my bed. How was that? How did I go from being asleep downstairs on the couch to waking up in my bed upstairs in my room? It's because the loving hands of my father carried me there. In the same way, when you close your eyes in death, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be made new. How? Because the loving arms of Jesus will carry you there. That is our hope. Hold fast to that hope. Let's pray together. Jesus, I, I pray uh, Paul's prayer for us in Colossians that you please fill us with the knowledge and wisdom of your will. Or the prayer for us in Ephesians that, Father, that we would understand the 
depth, width, and height of the love that is for us in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to remember that we are not someone that you are annoyed by, but someone that you deeply love. Father, that you are for us, that you come after us, and that you will never let us go. So Father, I pray that we hold fast to this truth in Christ Jesus, that his resurrection is our resurrection. Because he lives, we live. And let this change our lives. Let this change the way that we, we do church together, how we interact with one another, how we interact with people at work or within our community. Father, that they see the hope that is within us. So Jesus, I pray, help us not to desire this world, but that we can pray the prayer that you come quickly. Lord, I pray for your return. Help me to desire it. Help me to long for it more. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.